Hi, I'm Steve Hayes, and I'm a pastor, and I'm a sinner, and I love stories. I love to hear people's stories. I love to hear how God has worked in their lives to help change them and make them who they are. And I think we all need to hear those kinds of stories. So I hope you'll enjoy it and listen along with This Is My Story. I am Michael Anders, and this is my story. All right. Hey, everybody. We're here with Michael Landers, who is the athletic director at Navarro College and um, a member of our church and just a, a great guy, a great guy to talk to, <laughs> great guy to be around. Um, Michael, let's start with this, okay? You are kind of famous in certain circles around here locally for being a... Which circles are those? Well, you'll know as soon as I say this. You're a little bit famous for being like an, uh, just an incredible trash talker. <laughs> Where did you I, I develop that my, skill? I do have some strength in that area. <laughs> uh, I, I, I mean, I grew up playing sports my entire life. And uh, if there's, I mean, I'll tell people I was really good. I probably wasn't, but, uh, and and I think just my personality, I am, uh, my father-in-law tells me uh, that I am the most sarcastic person he's ever met. Uh, But I mean, it's like, I, I jab a lot Uh, and, and I don't mind receiving it as well, but that's, it's just kind of how I have fun with people. Yes. It's a give and take. Mm -hmm. And it's a, in a, in a lot of ways, it's the way men, kind of relate to each other, you know, just kind of razz each other a little bit. Uh, yeah, and and it and it's funny uh, it, we have a we have a guys group, uh, a bunch of our uh, my friends, people that have taken me into their group. Mm-hmm. Uh and uh Stuart Smith is one of those and and Stuart and I go at each other quite a bit. Yeah. Uh and uh, I That's guess kind of easy pickings. <laughs> well, I mean he's an Aggie. I mean so <laughs> so the door's already opened. Yes. Uh but uh, we have a lot of fun with each other, and and I yeah. think it's, uh, you know, we enjoy each other's company, the entire group, uh, and and I, it's there's a camaraderie amongst us, and uh, I think we support each other really, really well. Yeah. Uh, and I, I know, uh, you know, there was a time last year where we were we were doing some challenges as a group uh, through through one of your studies and uh, trying to pray for our our friends every day, uh, and and. There were several members in that group, Grant and and Stuart, uh, that you know pushed you to be better, and uh, they they pushed me to be better, and 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 watching who they are and what they represent, and uh, so I have to be careful every once in a while because <clears throat> sometimes I, I let my my jokes and uh, stuff be, become too much instead mm. of you know sometimes just sitting back and having serious conversations that sort. I'm sure some of that comes from your coaching background too, uh, just knowing how to push buttons in players. I would say so. I, you know, yeah. sports them, sports themselves lend to trash talking and yeah. and uh, competitiveness, that sort of thing. Uh, and and I was very fortunate when I was coaching that uh, we had a lot of really good players, and so we had a lot of really good teams, and uh, we were fortunate we won quite a bit uh, at right. times and. 
probably had some confidence that turned into cockiness and mm-hmm. uh, that, that kind of leads into it. But, but I think you're right in terms of the coaching part of pushing buttons. Uh, you deal with so many different personalities and, and uh, there's certain players that you got to hug and hold on to. There's certain players that you got to, you know, kick in the rear uh, that they all respond differently. And, and I think trying to figure out what, may te- what makes each person tick uh, is, is allows you to reach them in their own way. So how'd you get into coaching? You you were a, you were an athlete. You, you played basketball. Did you play other sports? I played uh, basketball, baseball, and football. Okay. Uh, my dad was a coach, uh, and so I mean I remember starting in first grade, uh, yeah. going to practices, and and I would get home from school in the evenings, and literally I would dribble a basketball around the porch or out in the driveway until they told me it was time to come in, and then mm-hmm. uh, I would get up at. I got up early in the mornings, uh, and I would go outside and shoot baskets until my mom told me it was time to come in and take a shower and get ready for school. Uh, yeah. So, I, I mean, I grew up around it my entire life. Right. And um, eventually you realize that that's what you wanted to do with your life? Uh, yeah, late. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, I, went to, I went to college uh, with the idea I was going to be a doctor. Really? And, uh was, was preparing for medical school, uh, looking into things, uh, and then uh, fall semester of my senior year, <clears throat> I went to my college basketball coach and, and said, hey, I don't think I want to be a doctor. Mm-hmm. And he goes, well, what do you want to be? And I said, I, I want to be a coach. And he said, well, all right, be a coach, uh, and which was great until I had to tell my family uh, because that was not the plan that they thought I should follow yeah. through. Uh, and so it took a while before I told them. Uh, and and I have never regretted it. Uh, I think the world needs more trash talking doctors. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I don't know that it worked well, uh, well in that in that field. Uh, so I ended up staying in school uh, an extra semester to get my teaching certificate, gotcha. uh, and then had an opportunity uh, the moment I graduated uh, at East Texas Baptist. The women's coach uh, asked me if I'd stick around a year and, and help, and uh, and that turned into. 24 more years after that. What, what's the, what was the top of the world for you in, in the coaching profession? What was your, your greatest moment in coaching? Um, <clears throat> outside of seeing kids, I mean, obviously the, the best thing about coaching is, is watching someone come in and, and when they finally see the light. Uh, and and sometimes you sometimes you're there and you get to see it because it happens on your watch. Right. Uh, a lot of times, more often than not, it happens after they're already gone. Right. Uh, where they may reach back out to you two years later or five years later and say, "I, I get it now. Now I understand." Mm-hmm. Uh, and so watching some of those kids that uh, you didn't know if they were going to make it or not, and mm-hmm. and watching them finally, you know, graduate and walk across the stage and get jobs and and get married and have kids, that sort of thing. That, that is obviously, that's why I coach as coach. Um, so, I, you know, outside of that, of an actual sports thing, um, I was fortunate. Uh, I don't know that she would agree, but uh, I felt fortunate that for two years, uh, Kenya and I served uh, as co-head coaches together. Mm. And uh, the first year we did that was in 2011, uh, and we lost in the national championship game. And then the next year, the second year uh, that we coached together, uh, we went undefeated and won a national championship. And 
uh, I have a picture uh, in my office of her and I holding Michaela's hands uh, because Michaela was two and Kenya was eight months pregnant with Larkin uh, as we were walking out onto the court to get the national championship trophy. And where, a, where was that? It was in Salina, Kansas. That's awesome. Uh, and so uh, that was a really a, a, a cool, selfish moment yeah. because I got to experience that moment with with my daughter and my wife, who's my best friend, and, and the fact that we were able to do that together was pretty cool. That's amazing. That's awesome. Um, what's your lowest moment in the coaching profession? Oh, wow. Um, lowest moment is, is goes back to what I said was the best moment, you okay. know, and, and – the best moment is when you see kids that that get it, and the lowest moment is is when you've tried to reach a kid and tried to reach a kid and you can't. Mm. And uh, there there's a, I, I mean there's more than one, you know, sadly, but uh, there's one there's a young lady that I coached at Trinity Valley that that we just I couldn't reach we couldn't we couldn't get her over the hump, mm. uh, and I mean I remember recruiting her and going to pick her up at a house. Uh, one day, and uh, you know, there were prostitutes in the house in the middle mm. of the afternoon. Uh, the house had condemn signs on it, um, and she came out and I said, "Do you want to get away for a little while?" She goes, "Yeah." And, and we went, and, and I ended up buying her three or four meals that she could take back to her house and stash away. Uh, and we had her for a year and a half, and she didn't make it. And you know, and and I know what life she was going back to live. Yeah. And, you know, and, and there's others like that. And that's just, it hurts because you see the potential in them, but you can't always get them to, to get over that mark and, and get to that, get to where they possibly could. Yeah. Does that haunt you? Some yes. Of those kids? Yes. Yeah. Because you, because you constantly look back and say, well, I, I should have given them one more chance. I should have tried mm-hmm. this. I, sh- I should have went down this road with them. And I, you, I mean, you try your best in every single situation. And uh, I mean, hindsight is easy. Uh, right. But when you're in the moment and 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 you're responsible for more than one kid, mm. and 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 that's part of the, you know the decision that goes in is is I can I, I want to give this person more chances and more chances and more chances, but but is that fair? And and what am I teaching? Right. You know, her other twelve or fourteen, fifteen teammates. Mm. Now, did you going back a little bit in your life? Did you um, grow up in a in a faith filled family? Did you grow up in a religious home? Uh, I did. Uh, <clears throat> I was. Uh, I grew up in a Catholic home. Okay. Uh, I was adopted at birth. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was adopted uh, when I was eight days old wow. uh, through uh, Catholic charities, mm-hmm. and so uh, I grew up in the Catholic Church early on. Um, and then uh, my mom got divorced uh, when I was in kindergarten. Uh, <clears throat> eventually, got remarried. Uh, and so we always went to church. Uh, I wouldn't say we were deeply religious. Right. Uh, and, and so my mom, when she remarried, she remarried a coach. Uh, and so we moved quite a bit. And every time we moved, we just, we'd find a church. And so, uh, you know, I grew up in a Catholic home. We went to a Methodist church. I've been to an Episcopal church. I've been to the Baptist church. Uh, we just kind of, you know, wherever. And, uh, when I got into high school, we were living in North Dallas, and uh, I started going back to the Catholic Church. Um, and then uh, I went to East Texas Baptist University, uh, and and went to the Catholic Church in Marshall while I was there. Really, and uh, so kind of, I would say we were all believers, 
but I wouldn't say that we were a strong Christian home because we, we would fade in and out. Yeah. Yeah. So when did faith in Christ become yours? Um, all right. So uh, after you and I talked last night, I, I was thinking about some things. Uh, I think for me, my faith started becoming important in 2006. Really? Uh, I, <sighs> that's when Kenny and I started dating. Okay. Uh, and uh, she went to church in Dallas, had always been, to, you know, had the same home church forever. Uh, it's Concord Baptist. Um, yeah. And and Pastor Brian Carter. <clears throat> I mean, it's it's a huge church. It's probably, I don't know, 15, 20,000 members. And mm. uh, so I started going, when, when she and I started dating, I started going there. And I'd grown up in and out of church my entire life. I went to a Baptist university. I've taken New Testament one and New Testament two. I've taken basic Christian doctrines. That's what I, I knew. I, I knew God. I knew about Jesus. I believed in God, but I don't think it was ever truly important to me. Yeah. Uh, where where I really could just stand on it, and. Uh, you know, like I said, I, I grew up for the most part of, of my young life was going to a Catholic church mm-hmm. and and nothing wrong with that. It's a completely different service. It is very ritualistic and, and regimented and, you know, without even thinking, you know, when to stand up, when to kneel, when to pray, when to stand up, when to sit down, that sort of thing. Right. You know exactly what you're supposed to say. Uh, <clears throat> and so it was just kind of it was just kind of an act that you went to church. Yeah. And then you finished, and boom, do crucifix, and then you're out. Yeah. Uh, and so when I started going to Concord uh, with Kenya, uh, you know, probably the first time in my life where I started hearing the message. Yeah. Uh, and I knew, I truly felt it in my heart for the first time because after I don't know if it was six months, if it was a year, it might have been two years, I don't know, but at Concord for the first time ever. I started enjoying praise and worship, mm. and I up until that point in my life, I would literally, God, please forgive me. I would roll my eyes and count how many songs we had to sing before we actually could get to the sermon. Mm-hmm. And um, and at Concord, uh, Miss Gale is the is the music minister, and she sings like an angel and. And I got to where I actually started enjoying, not all of it, but I started enjoying some of the praise and worship. Now, Kenya loves the praise and worship. Yeah. Uh, and so I started experiencing more of actual church and, yeah. and, and, and actually worshiping in the Lord. Well, what I'm hearing from you, and tell me if I'm wrong, is that you started to develop an intimate relationship with mm-hmm. God, that it wasn't just about... Um, kind of religious practices anymore, but it was a an actual relationship that connected with you more deeply. Without question, yeah. it, it went from <clears throat> knowing there's a God, knowing Jesus, you know, came down and 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 died for us, to actually starting to have a relationship with Christ. How did that begin to? to affect your coaching career and, and the things that you were doing in your life? Uh, I, I would like to think it, it, it 
made me a better person in terms mm-hmm. of in terms of how I treated people. Uh, I, I know uh, at that point my life was changing, my priorities priorities were changing. Kenya and I, you know, got married in two thousand eight, mm-hmm. and so that changed some of of what was truly important to me. Right. Because up and up until that point, uh, my whole focus was winning as many games as I could possibly win. Mm-hmm. And and then for literally the first time in my life, I started going on vacation. You know, right. I, I would never have done that before. Uh, and but my focus was changing. And then, you know, two years later, we had Michaela uh, and that, again, changed my outlook on stuff. And uh, I would say my faith getting stronger and developing relationship with with, with God and and then having one daughter and then a second daughter really changed how I coached uh, yeah. because it it became not me screaming and pushing my players so hard because hmm, when I want somebody coaching my kid the way I'm coaching someone else's kid right. and and that I, I think that yeah, I, I didn't become Mr. Nice uh, but <laughs> I think that I think that I, I became a little bit more understanding and I, I think it calmed me down quite a bit yeah so it started to have this more pervasive effect in your life and um, and on how you led um, and then I know from the time that you came here for, tell us what brought you to Corsicana how'd you end up here uh, so I coached uh, women's basketball for 19 years. And you've been at some major universities. Uh, I, well, I've, I've, I've not. Kenya has. <laughs> she's she's the good coach in the family. Right. Uh, I coached at Trinity Valley. I coached at East Texas Baptist. Uh, I coached at a junior college, Baton Rouge Community College in Baton Rouge. Uh-huh. Uh, and uh, then went back to Trinity Valley again uh, and, and left, took a year away from coaching. Really, uh, and uh, was living in Fort Worth, uh, and I was selling video scoreboards. Dude. Let me take okay. that back. Hold on, selling video scoreboards would be quite a, an exaggeration. <laughs> uh, I didn't sell video, many of them. You were in the video scoreboard <laughs> yes, business. <laughs> yes, I worked for a company that sold video scoreboards. Okay, so I just got to pause you right there because that sounds like a miserable year for you. Um. It was a pretty low point. Uh, it, it was a low point for. It was a very low point for me. Uh, it was a low point for for Kenya and our for our family. Uh, what we, year was this? This was in uh, two thousand, from October of two thousand twelve through July of two thousand thirteen. Okay, so you developed this walk with Christ. At this point, you go through a. This is a crisis moment. Yes. In your life, I'm. We don't have to get into it, but I'm assuming that something happened that got you out of coaching. I made a terrible mistake, and I had to pay for the consequences. And, and not only did I pay for my consequences, my family and my two daughters paid for my consequences. So now you're living with the guilt and shame of that, and you're doing something that you clearly didn't feel like you were cut out to be doing. Mm-hmm. You're a coach. You've coached. You, you've you won a national championship as a coach, you know. Two of them. Two of them. You coach <laughs> undefeated my, teams. My trash talking. Yeah, no, that's great. Hey, don't let me don't let me shortchange you, coach. Um, and then you and now you're selling scoreboards. 
I mean, that that was that's that's quite a fall. How'd you how'd you handle that year? Uh, not very well. Yeah. Uh, not very well, and and uh, it had a it had a major effect on me, uh-huh. uh, and and took a long time to bounce back from. Uh, it had a it had a, it took a toll on Kenny and I, and I bet. Uh, to the point where, you know, I I can't sit here and tell you that every single day I thought we were 100 percent good, right? You know, because it was it was it was mental toll, emotional distress, it was financial distress, like the, it's like everything was kind of hitting us. Uh, I will say that that there's no question in my mind. That even as hard as it was, without our faith at that point, we wouldn't have got through that. I'm, There's no I I, because because I felt like number one, I caused it. I caused us to be in that position. So I, I we didn't blame others. Yeah, like we knew, you know, it, it was on me. And uh, but we also just kind of sat back and said, you know what, he's going to take care of us, and don't know how, and don't know why, and don't cry about it. Uh, you know, we did cry about it, but you know, just get up the next day and 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 try and be better. Yeah. And um, and 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 it's weird. <clears throat> Middle of July, early July, I guess. Uh, Johnny Estelle was the basketball coach here at Navarro, and uh, Rourke Montgomery was the AD. I'd known Rourke for. 12 years, 14 years uh, at that point. Uh, I heard that Johnny uh, was leaving, and mm-hmm. I called Rourke and said, hey, feel free to laugh at me. You know, feel free to say no. I said, but would you ever consider hiring a women's basketball coach to be your basketball coach? And he kind of sat there for a little bit, and, and, then, he's, and then we had a conversation. And, and he said, you need to send your stuff in. And I found out after the fact, he called several people that I'd worked with and, and some other people in our, our conference. And uh, there were several of them that, that said, you should look at him. Mm. And uh, at that time, I, I, I didn't think I had a chance. Uh, but God opened the door. Uh, and uh, Kenya got a job literally as I was going through the interview process uh, Kenya took a job coaching in high, uh, high school in uh, Richland, in North Richland Hills. And uh, I remember it was one of her first days to be at the gym, and I drove up to see her that morning uh, and <clears throat> saw her new office and that sort of thing. And as I'm walking out of the building, I got back in my car, and I was going to go out and try to sell another scoreboard. Or, and uh, as I literally am pulling off um, – out of the parking lot, I got a phone call, uh, and it was from Rourke and Dr. Cavalier, who was the president of Navarro at the time, and uh, they said that they offered me the job. And I pulled over, and we'll do it right now. Uh, I pulled over and started crying because... because it had been a very dark place and uh, it didn't solve all the problems but 
I felt like it was the first step back. Yeah. And I had no idea at that point what that phone call would mean to me and our family. Um, because I, 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 I we had just got a house in <laughs> uh, North Richland Hills. Right. And this is now the 1st of August. And so I spent a year, uh, it was... <laughs> If there was nobody on the road, I could make it an hour and 35 minutes. Got it. But if I hit traffic, it was going to be about 210. Yeah. And I spent a year driving back and forth, not every day, but I would typically drive down on Monday mornings and I'd drive home on Tuesday nights and then drive down on Wednesday mornings and drive back on Thursday or Friday. And Which you did gladly. I did. I did. Because this was your second I, chance. I, I, I did. I, I, you know, I didn't have a problem with it yeah. whatsoever. I bet you. I bet you never looked at a scoreboard the same again. <laughs> <laughs> I did not. I did not. Uh, they look a lot different from the from the uh, coaching yeah. chair than they do yeah. from and the sales. And, and it felt so good just to be back doing what I felt like I was supposed to be doing. Man, um, you just needed a second chance, and a lot of dominoes had to fall to give you that. Mm-hmm. And it clearly has has made an impact on you. How has it made you better? As a coach, as a man, um, as, a, as a follower of Christ? I, I think that it, it obviously strengthened our faith because there's no way there's no way that door opens on its own. There's no way that door opens on its own. You just can't, you can't explain that without no, God no, that, and His that, presence that in is, your life. That is exactly what happened. And... Uh, and and then where that one domino it has led to so many things. Yeah. Uh, but you know, really, would you? Uh, I mean, I've thought about this in my own life. When when I'm when I'm looking at, and I mean, let's not sugarcoat it. When I'm looking at my own personal failures and what they have cost me, when I look back on my life and I see those moments, I think. In that critical moment, would I have taken a chance on myself? And I'm like, no, I don't think I would have. I mean, would you have taken a chance I, on no, yourself? I, you're exactly right. It's got to be God. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I'm sorry. Continue. So you're how did how did it affect you from there going forward? Uh, I, it you know in terms of coaching, it made me I, I appreciated my job so much more. Mm-hmm. Uh, I were you more gracious? With your players, I think so. Yeah, because uh, you're and, a hard driving dude. I am. Uh, yes, I was. Yes, and and especially if you talk to my kids who played for me the first five years or first ten years. Yeah, uh, I, I still there's a group of young ladies from East Texas Baptist that I I still stay in touch with. That, I, gosh, when they start telling the stories about what I made them do, <laughs> I I just cringe. Uh, yeah. But so I, I, I did. I, I changed. I changed kind of how I coached, uh, mm-hmm. and, and it was great for me because I, I went from coaching women to coaching men, and and so it was a perfect time for me to tweak some stuff uh, because it it's it's goes back to pushing buttons and uh, you know some of those buttons you had to push were different. Yeah. Uh, and and so I, I I think it helped me in that regard. Uh, I think it helped me definitely appreciate things more. Yeah. Uh, and and I think something that I've that I've continued with it is, uh, I don't feel like uh, I'm pretty confident that 
I look at people who screw up, and I don't judge them near as hard as I maybe would have 10 years ago. Yeah. Uh, because I think we all get at certain moments in life, and we do things that, in hindsight, really easy to say, well, you shouldn't have done that. Mm-hmm. Well, in the moment, maybe they weren't thinking the right way. And, yeah. I, and I don't know what steps led them to get into a certain spot where they had to make a decision like that. Right. And, and so I think I'm, I've become more forgiving uh, of people uh, because people have forgiven me mm. uh, for, for the mistakes that, that I made and the poor decisions that I've made. And uh, so I think that I think that helps me. Uh, it helps me have a better perspective on things. Uh, and and <clears throat> I think I've also, uh, I don't take things nearly for granted yeah. that I maybe did a decade ago. Yeah. So, um, so you grew up on teams with with tons of diversity. You grew up since you were young watching your dad coach kids who who were black. Um, you married a, a an African American woman, and uh, it's just never been an issue for you. Why do you think it's an issue for so many people? Or do you think it's an issue for so many people? There's no question it's an issue okay, for people. Good. There's no question, and and I, I think one of the problems is is there's too much of the population that doesn't think it's an issue. Okay. And and because they don't think it's an issue, they don't see the problems that exist, and and it's and there's not a simple fix. But I mean, and, all right. So much of it is, and I know there's so many new buzzwords, but the more you, if you truly look into it, there is systemic racism. And while a person may not treat the person right next to them in a racist way, everybody's not on, everybody does not start on equal ground. Right. And, so. And, and so, you know, the question or the, 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 the phrase, you know, he didn't hit a triple. He started on third. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and, and others are starting miles behind and don't have the same doors or opportunities to be presented so they never have a true chance. Right. So what do you think what do you think the goal is? Cuz here's where I struggle in that. I agree with you 100%. I mean, we don't all start at the same place. Some of us start um you know, you talk about the idea of privilege. That doesn't really bother me. Uh, you know, I I grew up. My my dad was a pediatrician. My mom was a guidance counselor. Both graduate degrees. Um, you know, uh, both responsible parents. Now I lost my dad in a car accident at six. So, um. You know, that was difficult. But when you look at the issue of fatherlessness in the black community, it's it's pervasive. And so, um, you know, when you're not when you're growing up poor, when you're growing up when an education is not a value, when you're growing up uh, in a single parent home, most likely a single mother home, um, you're you're miles behind a lot of the kids who grew up with a family intact with some sort of financial stability 
all these all these other things. And I'm not saying every black kid grows up that way, but there is a higher incidence of that in the black community for a number of different reasons. What I struggle with is um, what do we do about it? What do we do? Is is the goal, and, and can we even? How do how do we make that a more level starting point for people? I, I, there's not a quick fix. Yeah, and and this this is where as a father, I am discouraged because I don't think it's going to be fixed in the next generation. I think the work has to start now. But I think it's going to be one or two generations before we see true results. And I say as a father, it's discouraging because I have two young daughters that are going to grow up when it's not fixed. Right. You know, well, hopefully it's growing up in a better place. But I, so I have to tell this because this is this is there's so many different levels to it. Yeah. All right. So Kenya has a younger brother. Mm-hmm. Uh, Corey is 30 years old. Uh, he's 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 got a college degree. <laughs> he and his wife, she has her own personal business. She's got a college degree. They both they both work in Dallas uh, at at two different high schools in athletics, and they're as awesome a people as they can possibly be. And I know Kenya worries every time he drives somewhere, right? Because when he gets if he were to get pulled over, nobody knows all the hundreds and thousands of good things he's done. Right. He is a young black male. Monday of this week, I got pulled over. And Kenny will laugh because I got pulled over speeding and I never speed. Right. But I happened to be speeding at that point. And I got pulled over and it would had just turned dark. It's around 8 o'clock. And I got pulled over on 287 on the side of the road. There's no gas stations, no business anywhere. I were pulled over on the side of the road. I'm in the car by myself. I roll the window down. The officer comes up. They ask for my license and my registration or license and insurance. It's dark. It's a female officer. I give them my license. And she says, is this the correct address? And I said, does it say 2400 or 2409? She says, 2409. And I said, that's not correct. I moved. I built a house across the street. Yeah. She said, okay. I lean over and open my glove box looking for my insurance card. I've not been pulled over since I've gotten this car. Yeah. I am digging through my glove box. Yeah. She's not moved. She's just standing right there. Yeah. I can't find my insurance card. Actually, I, 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 I found an old one. And I said, this is all I have. And she said, don't worry, I can run it and see if you have insurance. Yeah. She goes back to her car, comes back in three minutes, gives me a warning, says go. Yep. Now tell me if that's not white privilege, right. that I can have the wrong address, no valid insurance, and I'm allowed to, without even saying, excuse me, officer, I'm going to look in my glove box. I just leaned over and opened my glove box. Right. It's two different well, it's two different worlds, and, there's, and that's not right. There's so many stories like that where black men have the concern that you just expressed, um, and you didn't think twice about it. You know, it wasn't even a thought in your mind. So um, 
I guess my thought though is, and you know this from coaching too, um, regardless of the of the level of, of privilege to underprivilege, when they come to you, when you were coaching, when they come to you, whoever it may be, um, you, you, your goal is to get the best out of them no matter what. No matter what their starting point is, no matter where they come from, your goal is everybody who walks in this gym is starting fresh with me. Right? Mm-hmm. Um, now that's in coaching. In the real world, outside of the gym, you know, how, how do we build that mindset of you're starting fresh with me? It's, it's harder. It's just more complicated. It is. And, and, I... and you don't expect a kid who comes inner city, who has no parental guidance, you don't expect them to work any differently than a kid who comes with different a different background and different privilege. No, and that's where I think sports is so great because it's it's to me it's the great equalizer. Like it's yeah. inside of a team itself, everything should be fair. At the end of the day, you got to work hard and run the plays. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And but, it, in but some that ways, doesn't transfer out into the rest of the world. Right. Right. And you're dealing with people uh, many times, people from various different backgrounds who don't, you know, you may have the skill on the basketball court to work hard and run the plays. You may not have the skill in the classroom. Like just telling a kid to work hard, that's not going to really go anywhere, right? No, yeah. I mean, everybody is, everybody has different skill sets and everybody has mm-hmm. different strengths and and if you with with your strengths you may be able to get you may be able to do certain things without trying as hard with your weaknesses if you do nothing they're going to they're going to still be a weakness right if you want to be able to still perform you have to work on those weaknesses and strengthen yeah. those and or or get help in those areas you know I think the biggest problem that we see right now with this issue and a lot of the things that you've discussed here is, like, it's not hard for me to see that those things are true. Fixing them, figuring out how to how to work that out, how to make that better, it's, it just feels so complicated and overwhelming. I, that's the part that kind of keeps me up at night about this issue. Because I, I look at the way we're trying to fix them right now, okay, um, politically, you know, and it seems like we're chasing our tail there. Um, and it, and a lot of times I think it, it almost fuels more problems. Media involvement, you know, we, we're in this 24-7 news cycle. I think the one good thing about media as it relates to this issue is that we um, are hearing stories that we would have never heard before. Mm-hmm. So I think that's a good thing, but I also think media just also kind of fuels and 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 makes this where it's hard to talk to each other about it. Yes, um, because you're either in one camp or the other. You can't. There's no middle ground anymore in, in any area of life. And then I think um, sometimes I wonder. It's just me, but sometimes I wonder 
yes, those things are true. Yes, there's privilege and bias and all of these things. When it comes down to it, though, everybody's got to live their life and make their choices and make decisions along the way. Um, all those things are present. How do you, how do you in, encourage making choices that'll lift you out of the problems in the, of the world? And does that happen just by like, because everybody's mad, everybody's pissed off right now, <laughs> you know? So that's all I see right now is like, everybody's mad. And that's where, again, as a man of faith, as a as a pastor, I think the best way to to move forward in this is to recognize that in Christ, first of all, there's nobility in who you are. God has made you in His image, regardless of, of what how much melatonin or melanin is in your skin, not melatonin, but you're you're made in His image. Um, and then that gives you an inherent nobility. And then God wants, I believe God wants the best for you. He wants you to, to walk in his goodness. And so I think the gospel has a unique nobility that it gives to people. And if, if people were to realize that and if the church were to step out in that um, and come together along those lines, I think it could be powerful. I agree. And, and, and I thought your conversation last week, uh, one of our problems is we have two different churches. Yes. And, I, but we also have two different lives. Like that's, it's not just church. It's cultural. But I know how you believe and, and the church should be at the forefront of it. Yes. And so maybe if the church changes, that will start to bleed over into into to society and culture, and you know, yeah. I, it, ultimately the gospel is uh, Jesus is is the answer to so many of our problems, but we can't get out of our own way to get mm-hmm. to him. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's it. I I don't have the answers. Yeah, uh, it's hard. I I think one of the most discouraging things to me. There's so many, but. One thing that's really discouraging right now is what you just kind of hit on is part of the solution is being able to talk to people. Yeah. And and we have, I don't know if it's because of social media and because you're behind a screen or what, we've lost the ability to talk to one another and to have discussions. Yeah. Because whether it's politics or race or whatever, too many times people start a conversation and they have their viewpoint and it does not matter what you say I am going to stick with my viewpoint regardless of any facts regardless of any persuasion I'm not changing and if you don't believe what I believe then you're an idiot right and that's not how it works yeah we don't talk to people we talk through people now we we let the pundits talk for us and Anything you say that either aligns or detracts from what they say places you in a camp. And so now if you're in that camp, we don't have anything to talk about. Mm -hmm. You're on the red team or the blue team. 
and I'm not. I, I'm on Jesus's team, man. That's that's what I want to be known for, you know. So I think you're right. Part of it is transcending all the noise and just getting down to what do you think? What is your experience? How have you made it through this? You know, and that seems to be lost in our society. Mm-hmm. That's part of the reason why we're doing this. Yeah. People have lost the ability to listen. Yeah. And to reason. Yeah. Man, I pray we can overcome this because it's just, you know, this the division, it's taking a toll on me. Just knowing what's going on in, like, Kenosha, Wisconsin, you know, or wherever. You know, people, people that filled with with anger, hurt, frustration, whatever it may be, on all sides of this. It hurts me, man. I, it's, I've, I've been more hurt by that than I have by COVID. You know, mm-hmm. COVID bothers me. It's been a this cloud of uncertainty over our over our world. But COVID is something that we I can't control. It's it's a outside deal that has come, but this is internal. This mm-hmm. is the this is a these are the roots of who we are as as people and man it it is unsettling to me that we can't do a better job of just coming together as basic humanity Mm -hmm. you know anyway i i I just wanted to talk to you a little bit about that because i think your perspective is is different it's just part of your normal everyday experience (laughs) has been your whole life Mm -hmm. so all right dude thanks for visiting about all of this I don't know how much of that's going to make it in here or not, but we'll. This has been good. We'll figure it out. I appreciate you being no, a part I, of it. I, Thanks I for being it. real about it. I enjoyed it. If you enjoyed our show, please subscribe. And if you'd like to spread the word, please consider leaving a five star review and tell your friends to subscribe too. Our video podcast is available on our Grace Community Church YouTube channel. This Is My Story is produced and engineered by Jake Moore and is a ministry of Grace Community Church in Corsicana, Texas. The views and opinions expressed on this show are those of the speaker and do not necessarily express the views of Grace Community Church. Thanks for listening.